You're listening to Gruesome and Unnatural, a true crime podcast. Welcome back to another episode of Gruesome and Unnatural. I'm Shelly. And I'm Eric, and this is episode 58. Yeah, hello, my gruesome addicts. Thanks for joining us for another episode. Another one. Yeah, let's just uh, hop on into it. Hopping. <laughs> so for this episode, I'm actually going to tell you guys three different cases that happened on Halloween night because they're crazy, but there's like not a lot of information, and I want to do like some Halloween stuff. So Spooky. Let's do it. The first case we're going to talk about is Peter Fabiano. Peter was a 35-year-old hair salon owner and his wife, 36-year-old Betty Fabiano, were sitting in bed in Sun Valley, California, about to go to bed, when around 11 p.m. on Halloween night in 1957, their uh, front doorbell rang. Peter, kind of confused, gets out of bed thinking maybe there were some late-night trick-or-treaters at the door, although the neighborhood seemed kind of quiet as the kids had seemed to, you know, have head home to go see, you know, what kind of candy they had. Remember yeah. that as a kid, the good old days where you go home, empty out your pillowcase and yep, trade with your siblings. I was just, that's exactly what I wrote down. Swapping the kid, like the candy you didn't like, maybe your siblings liked it and you swapped candy, you know, that's what they went home and did that night. So the doorbell rings, Peter gets up, grabs the bowl of candy that they had left over from that night and he heads to the front door. Peter opens the door to find like a taller trick-or-treater, which the guy kind of thought was weird. He wasn't expecting that. This person was wearing blue jeans, a khaki jacket, and red gloves. This person was also holding up something in a paper, like a trick-or-treat, like paper bag, which happened to be a gun. Peter was actually shot in the chest, and he died immediately. Wow. And this person takes off. Betty ran to see what was happening, only to find her husband shot to death lying on the front, you know, in the front door kind of area away. So let me give you a little background leading up to this night because um, there's Peter who was shot and there was two other women besides Betty that were actually involved. So 40-year-old Joan Rebell was a photographer and a writer. She had sailed from St. Pedro Harbor, which is near L.A., to Hawaii in Honolulu. Although in 1957, she happened to be going through a divorce and started working for Peter at his salon, like the one that I mentioned that he owned. Yeah. So this is where Joan came across Peter's wife, Betty, and that's where they became friends, and they were pretty, like, pretty, pretty close, if you know what I mean. It's, it's kind of presumed that they may have been starting a relationship. This is 1957, mm -hmm. so, it, but it's not like confirmed that they were actually like, kind of in a relationship. Joan actually claimed that Betty had told her that Peter had a darker side to him and that he was controlling and abusive towards her. Joan at this point just wanted to get Betty away from him and to live a life without him, you know. She wanted to get him away from all this abuse that Betty's claiming. So the same year, 1957, Joan meets a woman, 43-year-old Goldine Pizer, who, you know, they were just friends. They were literally just friends. And so this is when Joan tells Goldine that Peter was, quote-unquote, like, pure evil. Over the next three months, Joan was able to talk Goldine into becoming a hit woman for her, like unpaid hit woman. Shit. And yeah, so although, you know, she's not getting paid, Joan would give her money to buy a gun and to get a getaway car for them. On Halloween night in 1957 is when Goldine disguised herself with a, quote, painted face and a domino mask. And 
and the clothing that I had mentioned earlier. But I don't know what they mean by dominoes yeah, now. I was just because that. I was assuming like the game dominoes, because I actually looked it up and the first dominoes little store didn't open until nineteen sixty. Oh, so okay. I'm assuming she was like a little domino piece or something. Was she wasn't that, walking around with like a little like slice of pizza on her face or Rabbit something. Domino's character with the mask back in the day. Rabbit this is Domino? like way later. Oh, I do not. <laughs> yeah, so I'm assuming she's a little Domino's game piece. Anyway, so Joan drove her to Peter's house or Peter and Betty's house that Halloween night in their getaway car. Goldine gets out, knocks on the front door, and we know that she shot Peter once in the chest and he died pretty much um, immediately. Goldine ran back to the car and drove off um, and you know, with Joan, Joan dropped Goldine off at her house saying, quote, forget you never knew me, unquote. The next morning rolls around and Goldine realizes that Joan never really told her what to do with the gun after the murder. So she's like, well, shit, I got to get rid of this. Right. So she, she decides to dispose the gun herself. She drove down to the chic Bullock's flagship store in downtown L.A. and put it in a storage locker. Yeah, two weeks later, the gun was found by detectives. I, I don't exactly know how they found it, but they found it. And Goldine and Joanne or Joan were arrested for the murder of Peter. Oh, shit. In court, people noticed how sad and remorseful Goldine had been. But when it came to Joan, she was, quote, hollow-eyed, stone-faced, and often smiling, unquote. Goldine died in 1998 in Los Angeles. Betty was never charged or convicted for her husband's murder. So it was never really like she was, like, in on it. It's kind of like more like Joan... Which it sounds like that, yeah, yeah it does. for sure. It does. She ended up selling his salon after his death and remarried in 1966, although she passed away in 1999 at 81 years old in Palm Desert, California. But what about Joan? They were released, but no one knows what happened to her. She just like kind of disappeared off the face oh, of the shit. earth, and nobody knows. She could be listening to this right now, no idea. No, she's probably like old or dead right now. But <laughs> yeah, no one knows. That's that's that story of uh, Peter Fabiano. Sad, senseless over. Something that, you know, Betty said, and I don't know, maybe it was true. That's pretty crazy. Pretty wild. But the second case we're going to talk about is Carl Jackson. Carl Jackson was the son of a nurse and a postal worker who grew up in the Bronx. Later, when Carl was 21 years old, he was working as a computer programmer at Morgan Stanley. He had a girlfriend, Darlene, and her nine-year-old son, Clyde, in his life as well. This is where we get to the night of October 31st. 1998, when Carl and his girlfriend were on their way to take her nine-year-old son to a child's or like a children's Halloween party located in the Bronx. Just a little fact about Carl, probably like unlike a lot of us, he wasn't a fan of Halloween. He rarely ever went out because he thought like the night was kind of a dangerous kind of thing and Mm -hmm. he just really didn't care for the costumes and all that kind of stuff, you know. But that night he just really wanted to make his girlfriend and her son happy. So he's like, let's go to the Halloween party. Yeah, let's celebrate. So, of course, he's like, we'll drive over there and hang out all together. So Carl and Darlene hung out at the party while Clyde played, you know, played with his friends. And then the night came to an end and they decided to head home. Although on their way home, which is so crazy because we were just talking about this the other night. On their way home, someone threw an egg at his windshield. Mm-hmm. So obviously, you know, he couldn't really probably, it was a little harder for him to see. So, and he was probably pissed off. I mean, yeah. you're driving home like... Yeah, so Carl pulls over and he sees that there's a group of teens and actually it was one of them that had thrown the egg. So he decides to confront them. Carl's, like I said, understandably, he's angry. So he yells at the boys a bit and then he just heads back to the car and takes off. After he leaves, the boys decide that they aren't done with Carl, though. One of these boys, 17-year-old Curtis Sterling, either had a car or he jumped into one of his friend's cars. But either way, this 17-year-old had a gun on him. 
And as they caught up with Carl's car, Curtis shot him in the head. And Carl was dead on scene at 11.15 that night. All because of these pranks that this boy, or these, like, boys played on him with this egg. Turned into, like, this, like, gruesome, like, so senseless. Like, yeah. So Who Carl the fuck does time. that? Like, I know. Follows him with a kid and a wife? I know. To fucking shoot him? Yeah. What a exactly. fucking pussy. Yeah. 17-year-old little punk kid. Yeah. I know. It's so sad. But... This is horrible to say, but the best thing about this case is that Carl's mother sends Curtis a card in prison every year on Halloween that reads, quote, I'm glad you're still there, unquote. (laughs) (laughs) Trick or treat, bitch. Yeah. (laughs) So according to the New York Times, quote, between 1984 and 2010, there were at least 24 people that were seriously wounded or killed in stabbing, shootings, beatings, accidents, sparked by egg throwing confrontations around Halloween, unquote. Damn. I know. Isn't that wild? I mean... 24 people, it's, I mean, I mean, that's a big span of time, but still, it's, like, over that, over, yeah. like, something, like, on Halloween like that, just, like, what the fuck? <laughs> so, the last and third case I'm going to tell you about, Halloween case, is about 55-year-old Liddell Peoples and 49-year-old Maria Adams. Liddell and Maria met one another in 2007, and pretty much, it was just a sexual relationship. Liddell would actually pay Maria and give her gifts in exchange for sex, Marie would often stay the night at his house, located at 7150 South Winchester Avenue in Chicago, Illinois. Sex house. Oh, my God. (laughs) I guess we can call it that. (laughs) (laughs) On the night of October 31st, 2011, the two were at his home when Liddell noticed that one of his bags of candy was missing. And then he realized, you know, some other items around his house had gone missing, too. So he kind of, like, confronted Maria about his missing bag of candy. But Maria di- denied taking it. She's like, I didn't take so your fucking petty. bag of candy. Right? Some adults. Where the fuck's my bag of yeah, candy? literally. That's why I, like, I had to tell you this story. Was like, it's mind-blowing. Liddell then goes to her jacket, and in her jacket was the missing candy. Um. So instead of apologizing for stealing his candy, she throws a plate at his head and it hits him like right above his like eyebrow. There's uh-huh. actually a picture I'll post and you can see like this little gash where she like threw this plate. Like it. a frisbee? Yeah, she yeah, exactly. Fuck. Yeah, and it nailed him like the I think the above his right eye. And then like blood just started dripping down his face does and fucking what, does it say what kind of candy? No. Did not say. Because if it's I, that like matters. some good ones, it does matter. Does, I'll throw a right. plate at somebody for some fucking Reese's peanut butter cups. But <laughs> shit, I better not buy any. Damn, I wish I found out what candy was. So blood dripping down his face, Liddell, you know, became very angry with Maria, and he started walking towards her and screaming at her. So Maria decides to grab two knives to protect herself, but Liddell grabs her, you know, throws her to the ground, grabs a knife from her. Liddell gets on top of her, you know, gets on top of Maria, swings the knives around, like aiming at her eye, like going to stab her. He ends up stabbing her 28 times. And this is from the IllinoisCourts.com. Quote, defendant stopped when Miss Adams turned over and was not fighting back. Defendant then grabbed Miss Adams' hair and slammed her head into the floor three times. Miss Adams was moaning. Defendant was not sure if she was, quote, faking. Defendant became angry when thinking that he would be permanently scarred from the plate and that Miss Adams was ungrateful for his kindness. He stomped on her back and her head. Defendant next went to the kitchen drawer and grabbed the, quote, biggest knife. Miss Adams was laying still but breathing. Defendant poked her with the big knife to see if she would move, but she remained still. Defendant thought about putting Miss Adams outside. He realized that the police would trace her back to him because they had a sexual intercourse an hour earlier prior. He also thought people would get, quote, the wrong idea, as the police may suspect the incident was a rape or attempted murder. Defendant dressed 
put the knives in the sink and called 911. Chicago police officer John Davidson testified that he responded to the home on October 31st, 2011. Defendant was on the front porch. He was calm and seemed, quote, together. Davidson asked what was going on, and defendant responded, quote, that bitch is crazy. She threw a plate at my head, unquote. (laughs) (laughs) It's just, like, mind-blowing. For some fucking candy. For all over a bag of candy. Or just some candy. Sugar addiction is real, people. Yeah. Uh, continuing on. Inside the home, paramedics were attending to... <laughs> just sorry. <laughs> Inside the home, paramedics were attending to an unconscious Miss Adams. Officer Davidson observed a lot of blood, broken dishes on the ground, and three knives in the kitchen sink. They found Miss Adams face down in a pool of blood. She was unresponsive and had a weak pulse. When Miss Adams was turned over, Commander Nolan observed multiple actively bleeding lacerations and puncture wounds to her face, cheek, and hands. Miss Adams' blood pressure was low and her eye response was sluggish, which indicated trauma to the head. Miss Adams did not regain consciousness and died on November 5th, 2011. She had 10 like stab wounds to her scalp, her hands, and her forearms, 18 incise wounds to the face, and multiple superficial incise wounds to the face, hands, and arms. Miss Adams sustained hemorrhaging to the brain and injuries to the upper side of her scalp. These injuries were consistent with being stabbed or stomped on the head. This doctor uh, also found that the cause of Miss Adams' death was brain cerebral edema and brain defect due to the, her stab wounds to, uh, like, like, the man of her death was actually ultimately ruled a homicide. Defendant raised the defense of self-defense but not insanity, uh, a defense expert evaluated uh, defend the defendant, and on May 16th, 2013, he was found that he suffered from schizoaffective disorder, paranoid schizophrenia, cognitive disorder, and cocaine abuse, and was fit to stand trial with medication. So, all of that, like you said, over a fucking bag of candy. All of that. Uh, he did all of that stuff to her over that. So Liddell was found guilty of two counts of first-degree murder for the death of Maria Adams and was sentenced to 30 years in prison. Over candy. Yeah. <laughs> just like all these stories are just like mind-blowing. Yeah, for it sure. It's like from one, from claiming your abusive, you know, abusive husband to egg being thrown at your window to missing candy. It's just like three people just because of that. People could be dumbass animals. Seriously. Seriously. It's just horrifying. But I will have some great other Halloween stories for you guys next Monday. Yep. So thanks for listening. We appreciate you guys being here. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back next Monday. Share your candy. (laughs) Stay safe and be aware. Happy October.